won't be just me talking. Um, the first half hour, 25 minutes will be, and then as we have our lab together. What we're looking at tonight is bibliology as we continue our study on theology, how to get more out of the Bible. Um, we want this to be a practical session, so really asking, what can I do in my personal Bible study so that the book comes alive to me? So that it's not just something that's head knowledge. So the first 25 minutes or so, we're going to go through six observation points and things that we can grow in our understanding. And then the last half hour, hopefully we'll make it more personal. If we have to have um, mics that we can hear you talk, but we're going to work through Genesis 39 together. For I'm sure that every one of you have already read it. In fact, probably most of you have memorized. So it'll be very easy as we work through that tonight. Now, we believe that the Word of God is inspired. As, as God breathed, is, is the words in 2 Timothy 3, that is direct revelation from God, as Pastor talked last week, that it's sufficient, that it's authoritative in our lives. We believe that it's, that it's God's book, God's guide to us, right? Well, if we believe all of that, if we believe the Word of God is the Word of God, that it's preserved, that God is the living, sovereign, holy God that gave it to us, that He's all-knowing, that He's ever-present, and that he has given us this gift called the Bible, given us this gift to study, to ponder, to meditate, what should be our response to it? Should it not be the most used possession in our lives? Should it not be really the most treasured possession if this is given from God Almighty to us? Should it not be when we think of things that are valuable to us, should it not be right at the top of our list? You know, when we think of the Word of God and its position, um, maybe we should wake up in the mornings that we're just excited that we can't wait to get to our, our private devotional time with God. We have that sweet spot because we're going to get into the Word of God, and it's going to be that Word that will be applied and challenged to our lives. Is that our position? Is that true of us? Um, do we come to it? Do we daily get into the Word of God? this book that's given from the living God to us? Do we seek to daily make it our own, to get more out of the Word of God? Do we daily come and pray, God, open up His truths to my life that I want to see, think, say, and do everything today. It's filtered through Your Word. Well, our desire tonight as we come to this, as I mentioned, is I want to cover six points that we could get into the Scriptures and maybe be more comfortable in how, when we approach the Bible, that it's not just a book, oh, I'm not going to be able to understand it, and we just push it aside, or we get to it and we go through a routine and we're not triggered in our attention span. Maybe these six simple points that are actually on the outline, on the handout that you receive, will be something that will trigger our personal Bible study so that we can get more personally out of the Word of God. Because if we see more, that's observation, then we're on the, on the, on the path to make correct interpretation in our lives. But we can't interpret what we don't see. So if we're making observations, we're making these interpretations and what these observations mean, then the last step is we're making application to our lives, and that's where everything changes. We're able to become what God wants us to become. So we're looking at observations. So if you're there already, if you have that handout sheet, um, the first point that we'll look at is that things that are emphasized. Look for things that are emphasized. I have down examples here, and you can write all of those down on your handout sheet. I encourage you to write them down on your, your sheet of paper. I'm only going to take one example per point, but you could take the others and make a note of them and look them up in your own personal study to see how it 
gels to what we're saying on this point. So look for things that are emphasized. What do I mean by emphasize? If God is emphasizing something, then we need to be alert to it. And often when things that are emphasized that are coming across, we're talking about the amount of space that's given. If I were to um, talk to my wife and I was to give details of uh, what happened throughout the day, and in one minute spend seven, um, talk in one minute of seven hours that have happened, and then I talk about a five-minute conversation, but I tell her about an hour about it, what am I saying? That that five-minute conversation was pretty important. And so we see that the same thing in the Bible. For example, take the book of Genesis. Genesis 1 to 11 covers a couple thousand years, right? Genesis 12 to 50, 39 chapters, covers how many thousands of years? How many hundreds of years? See, really, it's 39 chapters, 400 years. Not thousands of years, so more chapters, less time. So what is God saying there? That I want to talk to you about man, about a family, and they're very important to me. Abraham and his family. And this, they step into the threshold. They step on the horizon. So he talks about Abraham, talks about Isaac, talks about Jacob, talks about Joseph. So that takes up a lot of the, Joseph, the Genesis story. So we need to be attentive if we're reading that. Wow, we've zoomed along through the first 11 chapters. God slows us down. Do the same thing in Mark chapter 5 when you get there. Make a note of that in your devotions and look at the space that's given. Look at what precedes it and then what, look at the space. Why does God take so much time there in Mark chapter 5? and John 13 to 17, five chapters one night. There's so much that you can ask and look through that. Turn with me, please, to the book of Habakkuk. So that's the amount of space. So any one of these things might not be, oh, that just exploded my devotions. That's really precious. But as we have our observation thinking cap on, and we're looking at multiple things, and they all come together, it's going to explode in our personal Bible study. So first we look at the amount of space, but then we're going to talk about the order of material. As you're turning to Habakkuk, look up this week, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Order of material, we're always asking what precedes it and what follows it. You know, this morning in Psalm 3, it's a setting of David and Absalom. But we step into 2 Samuel 11, verse 2, is the affair with Bathsheba. But you need to look at verse 1 because that precedes all of that when kings go to war. Then you need to look at what happens after chapter 11. It's all of that mess that causes Psalm 3 to be written. So it's important to look at what precedes and what follows. But let's look at Habakkuk chapter chapter, um, 3. You might be tempted to jump into chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. Let me pause. Did anyone not get this? Or you just prefer to look at me than the notes? I'm good with that. Um, Habakkuk chapter 3, 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Well, what is he saying there? What, what's happening? There, there are verses that are kind of strange verses. But when you look at what precedes it, in fact, I could have started in chapter 2 and asked the question, what precedes and what follow, which is an awesome question to ask. 
But you got to look at the context. In chapter 1, he's ticked off at Judah because they're so pagan in their worship, so pagan in their actions, and he's saying, God, why aren't you punishing them? And then God says, I am. I'm going to punish them. I'm going to bring the Chaldeans. Then he's upset. What do you bring the Chaldeans for? God, that's awful. They're wicked people. God, I don't understand. And he stomps off to the watchtower, and he says, I'm going to wait in the tower till you tell me the answer to that. Well, then unfolds chapter 2, that God lists five woes. Woe, 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 woe on the Chaldeans, on what he's going to do. And what follows that is chapter 3, where he just looks at the person of God and adores God. Really, it's a beautiful hymn of worship. Then we get to verses 17 and 19. God, if I lose everything... I mean, he's talking about losing his bank accounts, losing his house, losing his stocks, losing his checking account, losing his car, everything, repo. He has nothing. He says, God, you are precious to me. So when you look at passages, you got to ask what precedes it and what follows. We're not going to go there because of time, but take Acts 2 as a note. Look at Acts 2 this week. It is awesome, and we're familiar with the Spirit of God leading Acts 2, but we got to connect it to what precedes it, and Acts 1 isn't good enough. you got to go to John's Gospel, the end, when they're hiding behind closed doors. What changes all of that? Then you have them with Jesus, and I'm going to give the answer, but close it out with chapter 4. Um, it's awesome what happens, what follows and what precedes it. Let's look at our second point, Look for things that are repeated. Turn with me, please, to the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth. Dennis, did I tell you I really enjoyed my time with you in my small group class? And, you know, I really hope it ain't so. You know, I, you and I have been talking about Shula Joe Jackson, and um, I like your tie, but I mean, I really like you in my class. You're really precious and special, and, and um, had a great time with you in Haiti, but I really like you in my small group class. What did I just tell Dennis? I really like him. I'm repeating, you know, but really, if God leads you to join Jim Savalli's class, no more Christmas presents, but that's okay. Now, I'm getting across a point there that something that was... That's enjoyable to me. So when God's repeating something, there's a reason. He wants us to be alert. So look for things that are being repeated, that are coming across. We turn to the book of, of um, Ruth, chapter 1, verse 6. Um, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. The word return, and in the English text, the word turn is used many times in this book. In fact, it's used 14 times in chapter 1 and 2. There's a lot of movement in the book of Ruth. It's a little book. Turn, return, turn, return, turn, return, return, turn, turn, return, turn, turn, return, turn, return. I think that's 14 times. So he's saying something. Why is there a lot of movement? In our reading, you need to see things that are repeated. So if you were reading through the book of Ruth, then that might be good to do this week. Um, read a chapter a day, um, two chapters a day. Read through it twice. You're going to pick up another thing that's also repeated. The word, what? What's repeated also? Begins with a G in chapter 2. Gleaning. The word glean is repeated 12 times. 
When you think of gleaning, what do you, what's happening? Is gleaning a good thing? Yeah, I mean, if you want to live, it's a kind of good thing, right? Food and money. So turning from God to Moab, turning back from Moab to God, what happens when they come back? Chapter 2, glean, 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 glean. That's 12 times. There's also another word that's used three times in chapter 2. The word grace and favor. Grace, 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 or favor, favor, favor. There's one other word too. What's the last word that's used in the book of Ruth? Redeemer, kinsman. Wow. Just the word re- that's repeated, we're, we pick up quite an application on that, don't we? When I turn back to God, this isn't a health, wealth gospel, by the way, but when I turn back to God, there's gleaning, there's favor, and there's a redeemer. Maybe when I do things God's way, is always the best way. So just look for things that are repeated. We're not going to do the book of Philippians other than chase down the words joy and rejoice. Similar Greek root is used a boatload of times. And remember, where is Paul and how it's used? Um, thirdly, and we're going to put all this to practice in, in Genesis 39 in a moment. Look for things that are related. Um, movement from the general to the specific in your Bible study. When, it, when they give a general point, like in Matthew 6, the general point is don't practice your righteousness before people. And then Christ gives the specific, boom, praying, boom, fasting, boom. He keeps hitting the specifics here, what they're not to do. Um, I'm giving, praying, and fasting. Um, Genesis 1 is another one. The specific, I mean the general, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then the details are fleshed out into the specifics. So, so look for the specifics. When you come across a broad statement in the scriptures, look to see whether the writer follows up with specific details that we can get more out of the word of God in our study. All right? Questions and answers. I'm not really going to address that. It kind of speaks for itself. Um, I think I have Romans 1 up there, do I? Um, I meant to put Romans, that's Romans chapter 6 example, not Romans chapter 1. But questions and answers. Um, The book of Romans is a classic on that. Um, A lot of questions and answers that are asked. Romans chapter 6, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We we see that flow in Romans 6. So Rabbi Jesus was a master on this, asking questions and then he would answer. So when there are questions, it, it... causes us to listen, to ponder. So think through the question. Don't quickly run, but also look to see is there an answer for it. The prophets use this. It's continually used in Scripture. Let's look at cause and effect. The Bible is chock full of cause and effect. It's, it's just loaded. We this morning in our small group went off of, of Psalm 3, and there are cause and effects in there, but also looking at the whole life of David, there's cause and effects. Um, What's cause and effect? Cause is the driving force of the text. Every chapter of the Bible has cause and effect. This driving force of the text. It's the reason that things happen. That's the cause. In the beginning, God created. 
and then we see what he's created, the effect and all that happens. The effect, it, re it refers to what results. So cause is the why something happened, and then the effect is the what happened. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8 to see an example of this. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Context is that Stephen has just been killed in, in, in um, chapter 7. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. So the persecution is the cause. That's what's happening here. What happens as a result of the persecution? What is the effect? They were all scattered. You see, they're scattered. So you have the cause, persecution, and the effect is they're scattered. Then what's one more effect from the scattering? Verse 4. Someone shout it out. Acts 8, 4. The preaching. So there's persecution. They're scattered. Persecution. The scattered causes them to preach the word. So, so we look at cause and effects. There's a huge one in Nehemiah 1 that I really want to go to, but we're not because I want to get to Genesis 39. But look in Nehemiah 1. There's a cause and effect that Nehemiah is banking on for another cause and effect. So what's cause and effects? It helps, it helps us as we study the word of God to, to actively engage it. Maybe we're experiencing that effect in our lives. And maybe it's because of the wrong cause that we need to get things right in our lives. So we need to get into the scriptures, see what the cause and effect, and see how it applies in our lives. But making that observation is key. Um, Psalm 1, we think of Psalm 1. What's the cause and effect in Psalm 1? The man that's planted by the waters, the man that's involved in the word of God, the counsel of the word of God, will be like a tree planted by the waters. I mean, it's blessings will be the effect. Planted by the word of God, listening, and this is the blessings. One other, let's look at another point. We won't turn any passages, just mention it in passing. Look for things that are alike. Now, I know this is like a, a fire hydrant, but if you could take these notes and look at the examples that I know you're writing down, and then you could just study it and apply it a little bit more fully, but it'll become a little bit sharper in Genesis 39. Look for the as and like. What is God comparing? Just a simple Bible study is we pick up an as. As a deer panteth after the water, so my soul thirsts for thee, O God. Boy, right there we say, God, what an awesome comparison. May I be like that deer panting for the water. God, may I thirst after you. May I yearn for you. And you can look up Genesis 3.14 and 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2. Let's talk about the fifth one, things that are contrasted. And this is with the, with the word but. Um, turn, turn with me, please, to Acts. Maybe you're already there. Just to Acts chapter 1. The flip side of, of comparison is contrast. And the word but is, is just a game changer. Even in Psalm chapter 3, I keep referring to it. But you have Psalm verses 1 and 2. He has all of these problems. Many, many, many. It's a nightmare. It's, he's just found in a nightmare situation. But what does it all change? When he looks to the Lord. But his attention goes vertical. Everything changes. And that's what a but does for us. It gives us a contrast that changes what's happening. And again, just to make that observation in our personal Bible study and reading, we're now setting ourselves up for some sweet application in our life. Said, God, 
Help me not to be intimidated with the circumstances around me, but to look vertical. In Acts chapter 1, Matthew 5 is a great example that we'll skip, but if you could take that note and you could look it up. Acts chapter 1-8, what's the point of the but? But you will receive power. What's happening here? He's pushing us back to the context. So we can't just get to that verse. We should ask, well, what's the but there for? What, what is he contrasting? Because back in verse 7, they're simply asking, Lord, is it now? I mean, in verse 6, Lord, will you now give us the kingdom? Is it now going to be rest- restored to you? And he says, it's not for you to know, but this is what's going to happen. You're going to live here and you are going to be empowered. Again, that, that one word, contrasting, stops us for look, wanting what we want and to realize, God, I am to be on mission for you and I'm empowered. Just the one word, but. So again, making these observations, we could, we could say all we want, oh man, this was an inspired, authoritative, infallible word of God, amen, I'll defend it. But are we getting into it? You know, are we serious about our Bible study? Um, I know you want to be. Look for things that are contrasted, and Acts 8 has another awesome one, but again, time won't allow us. I, I see my, my dear friends from the sweet continent of Africa. I really want to get into Acts 8, so maybe I'll just take 10 seconds for you. Um, Acts 8 has a huge one, a huge but. Here is Philip, and he's, with, he's preaching um, the word of God, um, and he's on this evangelistic crusade in Samaria. God's turning things upside down. I mean, it's radical. So big that Peter and John are sent from the church down to see what's happening. But verse 26 says, now, and it's really the Greek word D, um, a contrast, God has a different plan for him. He takes him to the wilderness to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, you talk about a bummer. I'm hanging out in the wilderness, and these guys, Peter and John, are in, going city to city, turning the, the world upside down for Christ. I'm in the wilderness. Hold on, Philip. I believe that's how the gospel got to Africa through the ministry of Philip. I mean, it's like he goes to the wilderness, but the Ethiopian eunuch goes back and takes the gospel. Um, so the but is really huge in what we're able to see and what, what the word of God does. Take a breath. Now we're in Genesis 39. That's just really the backdrop to what I really wanted to get to. Um, let's go to Genesis 39 if you're not there already. Let's put all that we just talked about How do we plug it into um, Genesis chapter 39? How do we see this? How do we take these points of observation and what can we get more out of it? We want to first, you know what, I'm going to back up if I can, Steve, to where it has, uh, let me see here. All right, things that are emphasized because we'll kind of go in that order. Let's first talk about space. If you were able to read Genesis 37 to 39, what did you see about space? Anybody want to talk? We read Genesis 37. How much time is covered in verses 2 to 14? A lot of time, right? Because it talks about it being 17 years. So verses 2 to 14 moves us quickly. Again, we're going to be putting this all together, these six points, pack them into Genesis 39. So one of these by themselves might not be like, oh, what an amazing truth, but let's put it all together. And so the story moves quickly. 
Joseph comes upon his brothers. The story slows down in Genesis 37, 20 to 27, because he wants us to hear something. I believe God wants us to listen to the words of one man specifically in all of Genesis 37, because that one man becomes a center point of chapter 38. And this one man, Judah, says, hey, here he comes. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. So the story slows down. We zero in. We're slowing down in the account because it shows us the life of Judah. And then it speeds up in bizarre fashion. 38 like covers a whole lifetime of Judah because he has his three sons. And then it slows down all of a sudden when he's with his the prostitute, which turns out to be his daughter-in-law. And that interaction, those words slowed things down. Then the story speeds up and we get to 39 and we have Joseph. He's sold and we're following the flow of it. It's covering some bit of time. Then all of a sudden, when Potiphar's wife gets her sights set on Joseph, things slow down. In fact, dialogue causes things to really slow down. And they're talking. But we zero in on verses 8 and 9. Do you think that maybe God, and the only verses in all of Genesis 39 when Joseph speaks are those two verses, God wants us to listen to when he speaks, that he's emphasizing it, dialogue, by recording his exact words? We'll get back to that. But anyway, just to make the observation, to see how it's flowing, things slow down when Joseph speaks. So when there's dialogue, slow down and listen to what they're saying. Lump that together with the order of the material. What precedes Genesis 39? Genesis 39 is the Joseph story and Mrs. Potiphar. What precedes it? Okay, the story of Judah, right? Is that odd to you? I mean, you go from 37, you're following the story of Joseph, boom, you have this Hiccup, 38, and you jump over into 39. Why in the world is 38 there? But when we, we need to study the order of the material, God is putting material in an order in every book, every chapter for a reason. We need to see that. Even in the David story, there's a reason it has that flow and that we're understanding why things are happening. When kings go to war, God's trying to tell us things. So we have it here in Genesis 39. So what's, what's the importance of the order of the material? If we do by what I said, when the space, when a lot of space is given in dialogue, maybe we ought to write the words of Judah down on one side and words of Joseph on another side. That's what's being emphasized. Not that they're feeding sheep. There's a lot of time covered there. But Joseph's words, taking up a verse or two, and, and um, Judah's words taking up a couple verses. We start to put them side by side, and we're starting to understand what is at the heart of this chapter, which will explode even more so. Um, so Judah's words are words of violence, anger, murder, hypocrisy, and immorality. Joseph's words, when he's shocked and denies her, are words of loyalty, purity, faithfulness, integrity, honesty, virtue, and so forth. Again, just by seeing what God emphasizes when there's talking, we stop and ask, God, am I like that man? God, I don't want to be like that man. Talking about Judah. Staying in Genesis 39, our second point, 
that we go, look for things that are repeated. What's repeated? Like my story back to Dennis about our group Bible study. I'm repeating something because I'm trying to drive home a point. What is repeated in 39? Anybody? Sorry, say that again. Okay. All right. Maybe I should have somebody for my sake more than anybody else's. Say that again, Bernadette. Would you pass that back to Bernadette? And it came to pass. Okay, and it came to pass. What's coming to pass? A time. I don't know if that's right. Okay, what, what, is, what is being repeated here? Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. Genesis 39. What phrases? Keep going. What's picked up in verses 1 and 2 and at the end of the chapter? What, what phrases are repeated? Are there any? Okay, we see the phrase, and the Lord was with him. Okay, so the Lord was with Joseph. There's another phrase that's repeated. What is it? The Lord was with Joseph, and what's the result of that? He was prosperous. All right, by the way, where are they? Verses 1 and 2, verses 19 to 23. Amy, you're a photographer. Um, but that's not all you're known for. You're known for far more than that. But I'm going to use that point right now. So you're in photography. Um, I don't pretend to be a photographer. I'm a wannabe many years ago, and I've long given that up. But if I'm taking a picture of something, won't I try to frame it out? If I frame it out, won't it kind of make the center pop? Is that the point? Is that what you do in photography? Okay. So I'm framing out something, because I remember many years ago when we were on our honeymoon back in 1980, and we see the old North Bridge, and I'm trying to frame out by the trees at the bottom and the re- reflection in the center and the bridge right in the center. I'm trying to make that pop. Well, God's making something pop here. It's framed in the end of the beginning. What is he doing? And I say to you what he's doing is the very thing that he's pushing our attention to, and that's space, that's dialogue, that's the words of Joseph in the center of the book. But we'll get to that in a moment. So he's framing out The man of God, that God was with him, and the man that God's with, he's prosperous. Then there's another, there are other phrases that are used throughout this book, I mean throughout this chapter, if you were able to read it, um, were were you able to see anything else? Her solicitation, go ahead, Chris. It just says that he was in charge of the Egyptian lives. Okay, what verses? Okay, that he was in charge. All right, good. That one escaped me. Excellent. Okay, so he's in charge. Um, Her words, lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. Three times, same Hebrew words that are used. What does he do? It's used four times. Left his garment and fled, left his garment and fled, left his garment and fled, left his garment and fled. So we have it framed on each end. We have that he's in charge to what Chris said, and we have her soliciting, lie with me, and he's fleeing. I read this in a daily bread a boatload of years ago. A wise man, when fleeing temptation, doesn't leave, it a, leave a forwarding address. 
Um, he gets, gets right out of there. If it means that he has to leave his jacket, his garment, he leaves the garment in her, in her hands. He flees. Um, so again, looking for things that are, that are repeated, just the repetitious, tells us this. This man, the Lord was with him, and he was prosperous. And this man was pursued by a godless, evil woman just because he was handsome. But his response was to flee, leave his garment. Four times the narrator is telling us, boom, 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 that he's just getting right out of there. So that's, again, highlighting what we're about to look at in the center of the whole chapter, his character. Look for things that are related. As we look at things that are related in the Joseph story, that's the cause and effect. Um, do we see any? Do we see the cause driving this text? What's driving this whole, this whole text? And what's the effect of this? Okay, what's, what's the powerful cause and effects in chapter 39? How about the cause that we saw, re- it's repeated, because the Lord was with Joseph, okay? What's, what's being said here? He was with Joseph, and what's, what's the effect? What's the effect? He was prosperous. Again, just in our Bible study and meditation, God, when you're with a person, they're prosperous. God, I, I want you to be with me. Now, please understand what, how we're saying we don't mean that the Spirit of God leaves us. God's always with us. But we're to put into the context that God is with him in a sense of controlling that he's filled with the spirit, that he's allowing God to control his life, that person will be blessed. And that's the, that's the meaning here, that, that God is with Joseph and that God is blessing him. There's another cause and effect. Joseph, because Joseph continually refused the woman, that's the cause in verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her or lie. What's the effect because of that? Because he continually said, no, 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 no. Reminds me of that Capital One commercial. No, 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 no. He's continually saying no. What's the effect of that? What does she do because of that? She fabricates a lie to get him in trouble. And he ends up in a worse, he ends up in prison. So that's a cause and effect. That it looks like, man, God's man. I thought, God, you were with him. Look, look what's happening, happening to your man. Let's go back to verses 8 and 9. Because he understood, uh, this is probably, my friends, the most important cause and effect in the whole book of Genesis. Maybe that's powerful words, but look at his cause in verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything in charge. He's not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because of your wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I say to you, the cause in this whole dialogue, the cause in his life is God. God is the cause. God is huge in his life. God 
is, is big in his life. He has an understanding of God. So what's the effect of that knowledge? Because he has a bearing of who God is, because he has an understanding of, of what God demands. And understand, Genesis wasn't around just yet. And I certainly don't think any other book of the Bible was around because he's kind of like in Genesis, right? Um, so here he's, he's speaking. He doesn't have a Bible in his back pocket. So he has what was told to him by his, by his dad, but he had grown in that relationship with God. So he has this big view of God without having the written word of God. So he has this, this, this cause. What does this cause lead him to do? What does this cause What's the effect of this cause? What's the effect of the cause? That he calls, what does he call her proposition? Old man, bad hearing, you got to talk out. Sin. Great sin. wickedness and sin. He doesn't say, well, well, you know, that's kind of a nice offer. Let me think about, no. I don't think that would be too nice. I mean, he gets right down to it and calls it what it is. Great wickedness and sin. Let me tell you, that doesn't happen if he doesn't have a big view of God. Is that right? Every person that has ever fallen into this kind of sin or any sin is because they forgot that God was God and who God was. It just can't click together is when we have a big view of God and we understand who he is and he's precious to us and we're walking with him, then our effect will be, no, no, I'm, I'm just not going to do that because God, you're more precious to me than fulfilling some fleshly desire. So cause and effect, the whole thing is driven on Joseph because of, of, of his relationship and his walk with God. Well, her lie of the cause responded in the effect of him being put in prison. Um, Let's look at things that are contrasted. Um, do we see any, any words that are... Let me see, am I on there? There we go. I think I'm lost, Steve. Look, there we go. Things that are contrasted. Um, remember the word that is the big on contrast? What is that word? Begins with a B, it ends with T, and it has one letter in between. Okay, but. Do we see any but? Uh, again, the but changes everything. It's contrasting. Um, is there any buts in this? Well, I think there's a pretty powerful but in his very words or what's spoken. Look in verse 8. Lie with me, but he refused. The only time he speaks in this whole chapter are these incredible words and they just flow again with the understanding of who God is and how he hates, how he hates sin, how he hates wickedness and his words of loyalty you are his wife, I will not. But he refused. There's another one. It says, lie with me. She catches his garment um, in her hand and fled. Um, but let me see, where am I? Um, um, but one day when they, um, she caught his garment, lie with me. And soon she called him. Um, don't have the, oh, it's verse 12. She caught him by the garment, lying with me, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out. Um, so the man continually is contrasting her request, her actions with his righteous godly action by fleeing and just, just getting out. Again, contrast showing the way the man of God should live here. Be alert when we're reading through the scriptures. 
look at a but. If a but's there, we want to ask the questions, what's happening? Why is this here? So the, the contrast, he's left in prison. But is that the end of the story? Is that the end of all of it? We find that he's in story. Look at verse 21. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was in there. Look at the next word in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. Yeah, he's in prison. He's in this ugly, awful circumstances, treacherous situation. He says, don't worry. God's man is all right because the Lord was with him in prison. I mean, it's just hitting contrast that even though it's ugly, and God, if I end up losing, losing everything, Habakkuk says, if I end up losing my livelihood, I've seen you in chapter 2. I adore you for your, God, I will give up everything to have you. That's what Joseph is saying here. He refused and more precious to him than God, than, than um, the worldly things, and God was with him. But it's not the end of the story. Let's move on. One thing that we didn't really emphasize much is look for things that are true to life. You know, when you, when you read through the Bible, use your sanctify imagination. Become a kid again. And just imagine things. Put yourself in their sandals. Put yourselves in their shoes and feel what they feel um, so that you could just experience it that much more in observation. So we want to put ourselves in the shoes of Joseph right here. Um, you know, in looking for things that are true to life, we ask, what does the Bible passage tell us about reality? Um, what is it telling us about life? When we looked at Abraham, we want to put ourselves in the shoes of Abraham in Genesis 22. How can he offer his son to be killed, his, his very precious son, his only son? God, God I don't get that. And you, you walk with him and understand that. Or put yourself in the shoes of Moses. Here's a man, faithfully served God, and all of a sudden he strikes the rock and now he's forbidden from going into the promised land. How would he feel over all of that? But here we put ourselves in the shoes of Joseph. Betrayed by his brothers. Hasn't seen his dad, his family. He's in Egypt. He doesn't want to be in godless Egypt. And now he's lied, framed, thrown into prison. I mean, how do you think he's feeling? And even take one step back... Um, He's a teenager. He's 17. He's in a worldly environment. His mom and dad aren't around. His brothers aren't around. He's in Egypt. And he's propositioned by his boss's wife. He's a teenager. Are there hormones driving? I don't know. But he's a good-looking teen, but he happens to be more so a godly teen. So he ha he's experiencing all of this and for him to be able to say no, that he cared more for God and his word and his righteousness than for personal feelings, able to stand up and say no to this woman. So put yourself in the shoes of the biblical character. Feel what they're feeling. You know, even again, keep referring back to Psalm 3, but feel what David's feeling as he's being chased out of, chased out of Jerusalem because Absalom has taken over. It's not enough that just his son is doing that, but that to leave the holy city of God. So feel the pain that they're feeling. We're positioning ourselves then to get more out of the word of God as we're in that quiet time. And when it comes to time to make the interpretation and application to be able to apply to our life. So let's put it all together. 
what does all of this mean as we close up, as we wrap up? Um, what do we get out of all of these observations in Genesis 39? We might want to say, okay, what was this all about? Here are some closing thoughts, and if you have others, you can share with them with me later. We look at what's emphasized. We go from chapter 37, and we're surprised to see the Joseph story interrupted, but we start to understand that God is comparing the two individuals, comparing Judah and comparing Joseph. We see how the godless man lives, and then we see how the godly man lives. God's emphasizing, this is how my man lives in even the worst of circumstances. So he's highlighting, I believe, putting up the two worldviews. This is what the world will say. Fulfill the flesh and do this. But this is what God's worldview is, and this is what God says. And we need to do this and trust him for the results. So we're starting to see God's emphasizing, this is Judah, the man of the world. Here's Joseph, the man that follows me. And then we look at the space and it just slows down purposely. And we listen to the words of Judah. Just wicked words. I mean, my brother and I, we got in some fights sometimes. Uh, I wish I could say I won, um, but I would be lying. Um, but you know what? When it's all said and done, uh, granted, I think we, we should have done better. Um, but I love my brother. And I know that he loved me. But these guys are betraying their brother selling him into slavery because they were so jealous. They hated him so much. But we're looking at, at space in the midst of all of this that his words just are, they're, they're dripping with, with honesty, with purity, with love, and with, with, with um, um, positive and just truth living out God's word through, through his life. Um, how did he get to that point? How did he get to the point of being the man that he was? Well, we're pushing because we get to verses 8 and 9 and we read the words of Joseph. He had a big view of God. And that's really what I think is the whole text in this whole chapter. We need to get to verses 8 and 9. We need to grow a big view of God. As we understand all of, this, all of these points that are observations that are pushing us to God's man, to how he speaks, and looking at the space and listening to him, we're listening to the words that are repeated on the back end. The Lord was with him, and he was prosperous, and here the woman's coming after him, and he's saying, no, he's fleeing, he's getting out of the garment. We put all of it together, and the cause and effect, and we come with the biggest cause and effect, but he refused, and he speaks those words. So really what I look at as all of these observations, God, I want to, I need to grow a big view of you in my life daily. I think I said it before, and I have said it often or since to my grandson. I told you this story driving one day, um, driving him to school. I said, Josiah, buddy, just keep growing a big view of God. Just keep growing in your understanding of, of God and his holiness and his righteousness and, his omnip and all of the attributes everywhere where he is. Because if I get it that God's everywhere, if I get it that God is holy, if I get it that God is righteous, if I get it that God is pure, that God is faithful, I put all of that together, that I'm going to have the response like he did in verses 8 and 9. A big view of God will cause us to live a big way for God. We have three or four minutes closing. Any closing observations? We have a mic. We could, um, I thought we had a mic uh, right over here. Oh, you got it. There's one up here. Any questions, observations? Phil.
Um, this is less of a question, I guess. Um, I was wondering if we could look at the slide for the true to life to see some of the examples. True to life? Yeah. Was, oh, right here. I'm sorry. So you want us to look at the examples? I, sure. Yeah. I mean, talk, like, I think I talked about Abraham and Moses. Peter, looking at Peter in Matthew 26, um, you know, how does Peter deny the Lord? You know, here he's on one hand, he's willing to fight for the Lord. If we turn to Matthew 26, verse 69, he's willing to defend him. In the, gar- in the garden of the Gethsemane, man, he jumps up, snaps off the ear of some servant. But now we have just moments later, oh, you were one of them. You know, and he denies him. Oh, no, I wasn't. Three times he denies him. You know, look for things that are true to life. So there you are in your devotions. And maybe you're reading Matthew 26 that morning. And just say, say Lord, I want to stop denying you by things I do in life. And maybe you ask God, just, just bring to mind how I'm denying you. Do I deny you at the lunch table if maybe you're in school and you don't want to see people to see you praying? Or maybe you deny him by, by laughing at something that you shouldn't laugh at with all of the workers. Maybe you deny him by your silence, by not just being a witness when God is telling you to be a witness. You know, so just to say, God, I, wanna, I want to not deny you any longer. That's two positives, which means we want to speak for him. Or two negatives. Did you want more? Good. Thank you. Anyone else? Our desire as we look at the whole topic of bibliology, we have our doctrine. We, I think we can, hopefully we could defend what we believe. If a cult were to knock on our door, you know, why do I believe, you know, even Exxon Jew, I should ask you, you want to take a minute? Would you get him the mic? We have, we have six minutes, and we're going to, Exxon Jew called me this past week, and he said, um, I have Mormons that, I have a meeting, and I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't call you, I thought of you and prayed for you, so I have a, Mormon, a meeting with Mormons Tuesday night, and so we were talking, I said, they're going to say that the Bible is corrupt, it's perverted, at least that's what they believe, but keep using the word of God, and we talked about two points, using the Dead Sea Scroll and the 5,500 manuscripts, copies of the New Testament. Go ahead, my friend. Yes, that was a good opportunity for me. There's uh, two young men from the Mormon church who knock on my door. They're talking about Jesus. When, I say that, when they say that, I say, wow, okay. <laughs> so, but I was doing something. I said, well, for, for this moment now, I don't, I'm not prepared for that. Can, you, can we make an appointment? And we make an appointment on Monday, like, like uh, Tuesday evening. And they come up, 6 o'clock, they come up 30, 30 minutes late. And I, I exhort them for that. Too. I say, if you, if you do what God, you, you have to keep your word. I've been waiting for you for a half hour. You just show up. <laughs> so that's why they apologize. And then we get in the house. We, uh, we, I let them present the, the whatever, what they have, have to say. It's completely flawed. They have only a pamphlet. There is maybe that's why they teach them in the pamphlet. And they started. And I, I quietly listened to them. 
Mm. But I was, pre- I was prepared for it, for it to you too. <laughs> because, mm. yes, I was prepared. And after that, and then when I see they come on someone really question about the prophet, uh, Adam was a prophet, all this, uh, Abraham, all those prophets, do you believe this? I said, no, that's enough, enough. And I take, I take a charge. And I said, do you know, because of, because of the points that you sent me, I have well equipped for that yeah. too. And, mm. then, and they mostly say, say, say they're spe- speechless. Mm. <laughs> and I take over. But it, I, I say, as a young man, I applaud you guys what you do. Because mm. you, if you, whoever t- your church sent you here to do something, but if you are doing something right, a, a, a real doctrine. I will be applauding you for that because what you do is is good, but it's wrong because you 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 wrongly teach the wrong doctrine. Mm-hmm. And then when they were talking about the prophet or those things, or but uh, the Bible was flawed. I say, do you have any evidence for that? And mm-hmm. they say, nah, they cannot give me any, any answer. And I say, but uh, for me, the Bible is sufficient for me. It's complete mm-hmm. because if you even go to uh, Old Testament after the Malachi, God spent 400 years. He doesn't talk to any prophet before Christ coming. Mm-hmm. How come your, your, your prophet, which is uh, Joseph Smith, God revealed, I don't know, if the Bible already finished to write. Yeah. Because I believe it's 1826 when uh, Joseph Smith <laughs> come up. With that, with God was speaking to him. Abraham, he was, I believe. In the prophet, they said about Abraham was, no, that Jim um, Baptist, or I talked to him like he was a lesser prophet. After that, uh, Joseph, uh, not Joseph, uh, Peter and John was talking to him. Now he become a a greater prophet. He's the prophet. That means that means yeah. mean the Book of Mormon is the real book because that's why seem like we Christians yeah. are flawed. We uh, we after the the, the the initial gospel no longer good yeah. except the one God took talk to Joseph Smith. Yeah. And I and I. Thankfully, but they, they have they 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 run away. They don't want to stay. I don't, I don't finish with them. But I say uh, they're yeah. mostly speechless. They, they run away. So no, I am <laughs> I am thrilled you had that opportunity. That's awesome, Exanjo. Yeah, May we be defenders of the truth and know what we believe and able to explain why we believe it. That's awesome. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for opportunities that you bring people into our path that we can be witnesses for you. But God, as we think of our daily Bible time each day, may we get into the Word of God and may we allow its truth to go steep into our heart and soul. And may we be men and women that stand for you, um, anxious to flesh out your truths and your commands through our lives for your glory. I pray in Christ's name, amen. You're dismissed.